0: And so Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 44, uh, speaks about the 10th commandment. And I'll ask the question if we could respond together as a congregation with the answer. And so, dear Christian, what is God's will for you in the 10th commandment? That not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. Rather, with all our hearts, we should always hate sin. And delight in all righteousness. Then it transitions to a couple of questions that conclude this section. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some of God's commandments. And finally, since no one in this life can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that all our life long we may more and more come to know our sinful nature and thus more eagerly seek forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that we may never stop striving and never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit so that we may be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. I'll turn now to the Holy Scriptures in Exodus chapter 20. Just read one more time the Tenth Commandment for us. That's from Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Our God in heaven says to us these words, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. May he bless uh, the preaching of his word to our hearts this evening. Well, I think it's safe to say that we live in a world that's marked with discontentment. You know, when I was a little boy, one of the chief areas of my life where I was constantly discontent was video games. I was always jealous if some of my friends had a newer video game than me or a newer video game console. Uh, today you might resonate with that. You're a social outcast these days if you don't have the most up-to-date iPhone, right? If you're a couple of versions behind, people start to look at you a little funny. Or maybe if the TV in your room is not a flat screen TV with a certain amount of inches, uh, people might wonder, you know, what's going on with you. We're always told today you need to, to crave more, crave more upgrades, more data, faster internet, newer gadgets, and the list goes on and on. And in our consumeristic culture that we're living in, it's hard to avoid covetousness, desiring other people's things, and it's hard to cultivate contentment, being at peace, With what God has blessed us with. But that is part of the goal of this command. Uh, In the 10th commandment, beloved, God is calling his children to trust in his provision and to live not simply for the temporary things of this world, but to live for the eternal. Uh, And he calls us to avoid chasing after the things of this life that cannot satisfy our hearts. This command is all about the heart, It's interesting, as you look at all the other commands here, um, they're not explicitly about the heart as you look at them on the surface. Although, as we go to the New Testament, we do see that truth. But this command in particular points to our desires. It points to what we want. It points to the motives behind our actions and what drives us as human beings. And so today, as we look at this command, we are considering, beloved, the desires of our hearts and how we can cultivate greater desires uh, for the right things. And so we're going to look at this command, just asking a number of questions. And the first one is simply, what is covetousness? We're told us it's command not to covet, but what is covetousness? Well, to covet is to sinfully desire something that belongs to someone else. Uh, we covet when we crave or yearn for something that belongs to somebody else. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, Covetousness is an insatiable desire of getting the world, needing to get more out of the things of this world. Uh, The 10th commandment highlights here some areas where we might be tempted to covet. God speaks of material possessions in this command. Your neighbor's house or their ox or their donkey. Uh, One of the lies in our culture uh, that feeds our sinful tendency to covet is this lie. You are what you own. Right, That you are valuable insofar as you have a nice house or a nice car or nice clothes or new gadgets. You are what you own, maybe where you're able to go on vacation. And on Instagram, on Facebook, we could peer into the life of other people and we could find ourselves coveting, desiring in a sinful way things that belong to someone else. We could say, I deserve to go on that kind of vacation you know children could say i deserve that pokemon card or that video game maybe we look at what people are eating for dinner and we covet even their food right we could find ourselves sinfully craving in an unhealthy way the things of other people in their possessions the tenth commandment also highlights how we could covet other people's relationships you shall not covet your neighbor's wife Maybe we're not happy in our marriage or in a relationship that we're in and we fantasize about another person or we desire a whole different kind of life altogether. Uh, Even those who are single could sinfully crave in an unhealthy way marriage, putting too much hope in just getting into that next season of life. One commentator wrote, we can want the wrong things in the wrong way at the wrong time and for the wrong reasons. And then the command says this, or anything that belongs to your neighbors. And that statement is a big bucket statement that includes all kinds of different covetousness. We can covet other people's gifts, other people's talents, other people's lot in life, other people's job title, and the list goes on. And so our catechism says, what do we mean by this command? We mean that not even the slightest desire our thought, contrary to any of the commands, should come into our hearts. Again, at the end of the day, beloved, this command deals with our desires. right? Some might look at the Ten Commandments and say, kind of with the rich young ruler in the New Testament, you know, actually, as I look at these commands, I think I'm doing pretty good. I haven't murdered anybody. I don't really steal anything valuable. right? I have never slept with someone who's not my wife. I think I'm doing pretty good. But when you get to this command and consider the desires of your heart and what you want on the inside, it should reveal to us our iniquity. You know, our desires, what we want, um, desire in itself, it's not inherently a bad category. Just because you want something doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Right. We desire food. We desire relationships. We desire security. And this desire motivates us to do good things, to work, to go to school, to get educated so that we could pursue our dreams, pursue some of the things that we desire. But the problem that this command is highlighting is that we often desire the wrong things. And this gets to our second question. Why do we covet? Why do we covet? And the answer from the scriptures is because we have disordered desires on the inside we fail to love the right things we're called to love the lord our god with all our heart soul mind and strength but we don't always do that and before sin came into this world adam and eve think about this in the garden they lived naked and unashamed lives before one another and before god before sin they were content and who god made them to be And they trusted in the provision of their loving creator and God. But Satan came into that garden and he tempted Eve to lust after something forbidden. And when Eve saw the fruit of that tree that was forbidden, she desired in the wrong way to be like God. Genesis 3 verse 6 That phrase, um, when she saw that that fruit was to be desired, to make one wise, that's the same Hebrew word that's used here in the 10th commandment, pointing to the sinful desires that we have for the things that don't belong to us. Our sinful cravings, the sight of heaven, are never satisfied by the things of this life. It's been said that a reporter once asked Nelson Rockefeller, one of the richest men of his day, This question, how much money would you need to live on comfortably? And he replied, just a little bit more than I get. There's never enough right in the bank account to make us happy when riches are what we're living for. Ecclesiastes one, verse seven, the streams all run into the sea, but the sea is never full. We all have appetites that we struggle to satisfy. Lord, if I could just get that new vehicle, that new upgrade, that new tool, that new whatever, then I'm going to be happy. But that happiness is short-lived. It's an illusion at the end of the day. We think it's going to bring us happiness when we get into that next season of life, but we're always left longing for more. Covetousness, beloved, it's the opposite of faith. Faith looks to God as our heavenly father and trust in his provision, content in his lot. But covetousness looks to the God of mammon to make us rich and happy. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and not the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, which is prosperity and wealth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So why do we covet, beloved? It's because in every single one of us, there is this battle. There is a battle between covetousness and contentment. James 4, 1 and 2 says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. We all have the disordered desires in us. And this covetousness leads to actions of ungodliness. This leads to our third question. How serious is covetousness? How serious is it? We all struggle with it. How serious is it really? The famous preacher from the 5th century, John Chrysostom, said, Even more dangerous than the sins of the flesh is the sin of covetousness. Well, Why is that? Because this hidden sin that no one else can see because it's going on in here and in here, this hidden sin leads to the breaking of the other commands of God. Covetousness leads to killing. It leads to adultery. It leads to stealing. Uh, One example of this that's pretty clear from the Bible is 1 Kings chapter 21. Maybe you know this story. Uh, In 1 Kings 21, there's a wicked king by the name of Ahab. And he wanted a particular grape vineyard that belonged to a man named Naboth. And he wanted it because it was pretty close to his palace. And so he goes to Naboth and says, hey, I would like your grape vineyard, please. I'll give you some money for it or we'll work, out, we'll work something out. And Naboth is a faithful man of God. And he says, no, I'm not going to give you that grape vineyard because it actually belongs to the Lord. It's part of the inheritance of his fathers. And so it would have been wrong for him to actually sell it. So Naboth is right and says, no, thank you. And so, King Ahab, what does he do? He goes home and he pouts. <laughs> he literally throws a fit, right? He goes home, he doesn't eat food, he mopes around, he doesn't sleep. And his wife, Jezebel, is an evil woman, and she finds out that her wife is distraught over this issue. She asks him about it, and she finds out that he is, you know, upset about this. And so, what does she do? She devises an evil plan, and ultimately, she has Naboth falsely accused by two men. And Naboth is put to death so that he could receive this grape vineyard. And the prophet Elijah comes and he declares God's judgment over Ahab and over Jezebel because of their sins. But how did these great sins happen of a man being falsely accused, right? Put to death and then stealing another man's vineyard. Really, look at all those commands that are broken. It all began with what? Coveting, desiring something that belonged to someone else. Again, breaking this commandment leads to the breaking of the other commandments of God. Adultery happens when we covet someone who is not our spouse. Theft happens when we want someone else's stuff. And so Jesus says in Luke 12:15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. How serious is covetousness? Well, it's also serious because some forsake the Lord because of covetousness. Maybe you're familiar with the man Demas. He was once a man who supported the great Apostle Paul. He was called a fellow worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're told in 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, he fell in love with the things of the world and he committed apostasy. He forsook the Lord and he forsook the Apostle Paul. When Jesus gives the parable of the sower, And he talks about this very moment of the word of God going forth into the world. There's different kinds of people receiving it. And he says in one situation, the the word of God goes amongst the thorns and the thorns take that seed and choke out the life. And what are the thorns? Jesus says it is the ungodly attractiveness of wealth, covetousness for stuff and for the things of this life. It's choking the life of the word of God so that it remains unfruitful. Finally, we see that covetousness is so serious because it could actually keep us from entering the kingdom of God. First Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 5:5 in both of the lists, they highlight covetousness. And if someone's life is marked by that, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because again, beloved, at the heart of this particular sin is a heart that does not trust and believe in Jesus and in the provision of God. The Puritan Thomas Watson writes this. A ferryman takes in so many passengers to increase his fare that he sinks his boat. So a covetous man takes in so much gold to increase his estate that he drowns himself in perdition. Covetousness can kill us both in this life and the next. And that's because, as we heard this morning, covetousness is essentially it's idolatry. It's the worship of a false god that cannot satisfy our soul. And so, beloved, as with all the commands of God, as we just confessed from the catechism, God wants this command and all the commands preached because they help reveal how much we need Christ. In Romans 7, uh, the Apostle Paul highlights how for a time he thought he was doing pretty good as a righteous man following God's law, but then he came to this particular command which said, You should not covet, and Paul says it exposed the desire of his heart. It showed him how great of a sinner he actually was. And how much he needed grace. We too, beloved, must hear this command and see our sin disease so that we can look to God for his cure. And that's our fourth question. What is the cure for covetousness? Well, first, beloved, we need to consider our Lord Jesus. The power of covetousness is broken when we fix our eyes on our Savior on his life and on his death and on his resurrection, when we consider how God was so rich in love that he provided for us his very own son, that he might bring us eternal life and bring us into the kingdom of God. Paul connects these things in Romans 8, saying, if God gave over his own dear son for us to save us from our sins, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All of the lesser things of this life. When we consider Jesus, we see how in his earthly ministry, Jesus was content to do his father's will. And he trusted in his father's provision. Right. In, in the temptations of Satan, he sought to stir up in Jesus discontentment. Right. Jesus, turn these stones into bread. Provide for yourself. I know that you're hungry. Jesus, you could have all of the kingdoms of this earth if you bow down for me. No cross, no suffering. But Jesus did not sinfully crave even the things that rightfully belonged to him. But he trusted in God's plan. He trusted in his father's timing. He trusted in his father's ways. And he went to the cross to die for our sins, even our covetousness. And when he rose again and ascended into heaven, he gave to us the Holy Spirit that God might begin to work in us, in your heart and in my heart, a trust in God and in his provision. And this means we are to call, beloved, to trust in God's plans for us as well, whatever they might be. After Jesus's resurrection in John 21, the Apostle Peter was looking at God's plan for the Apostle John and what God had in store for John. And he was asking Jesus about his plan for John. And what did Jesus say to Peter? You follow me. (laughs) In other words, don't worry about this person's lot in life and what I have in store for him. You follow me. And so God is calling us to consider Jesus, what he has done for us, his provision to consider uh, even the plans that he has for us in this way. Uh, Second, under the cure for contentment, Another thing we are to do or the cure for covetousness is we are to cultivate contentment. Now, I've used that word a few times, but what is contentment? Christian contentment is a heartfelt trust in God that he will provide for all of our needs and be our protection and strength in every season of life. Commentator William Hendrickson captures the essence of contentment when he calls it soul sufficiency. Or the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs Explain contentment in this way. Contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. We see this in Heidelberg 26 when it asks, What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And part of the answer is this. I trust him so much that I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He's able to do it because he's almighty God. He desires to do it because he's a faithful father. Here we see a definition of contentment, but I want to share with you a couple of things that contentment is not. First, contentment is not circumstantial meaning it's not primarily based on circumstances outside of us. I think this is how the world primarily talks about contentment, right? If you could just simplify your life, make a little bit more money, get into that next season of life, then you will find that you are content. And of course, we're all prone to that, right? Thinking about the grass is green or on the other side, thinking that if we just change circumstances outside of us, we're going to be okay. And it's true that if certain circumstances do change in our lives, a level of peace and contentment might take place. Right. But the problem is whenever you transition into that new season of life or that new chapter, you still bring you with you. You still bring your own heart. Right. And all of the troubles on the inside, we bring ourselves into every new reality that we're in. And so contentment then has more to do with what's going on inside of us. And not as much of what's going on outside of us. The issue, again, is our desires, our hearts. Beloved, God wants to use the circumstances that you are in today, whatever those might be, to create greater contentment in your heart. Here's another thing about contentment, then. Contentment is a process. Contentment is a process that we learn. Contentment is not natural to us. It's not natural to me. But God, by the Holy Spirit, is producing in our hearts trust in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians 4 that he learned the secret of contentment. He learned it, and he says that he learned it in seasons of adversity and in seasons of prosperity. Contentment was not natural to the Apostle Paul, but he learned contentment in Christ in every circumstance. Philippians four verse eleven he says, I know what it's like to be brought high, and I know what it's like to be brought low. This is experiential knowledge. He speaks of the highs of life when things are going well, when he's outwardly prospering in the way. And he speaks of the lows of life. Times like 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-seven, when he was in hunger, when he was thirsting, when he was without food, when he was in cold and in exposed. In his life, the Apostle Paul had many things stripped away, his rights, his freedom, his status. But he learned, beloved, he learned to say near the end of his life, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that is the context of that well-known verse, Philippians 4.13. The context is contentment in Christ in every season of life. And Paul gives us that great encouragement, not only should we be content in God, but we actually can be more content in God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in every season of life. And even as Paul writes those words, he is exhibit A to that truth. Because when he wrote those words in Philippians 4:13, he wrote them when he was in chains. He wrote them from prison when he had little material wealth and no status. But Christ was sufficient for him. At the end of the day, all we have is our Savior. Corey ten Boom famously said, You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Again, I love that language of learning. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And so as we look to Christ and get to know the character of our Savior as we get to know his love his purposes for us as we grow in trusting in him in every season of life we find greater and greater contentment in our hearts for god so that we could say hebrews 13 verse 5 keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said i will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the lord is my helper I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so, beloved, we have been looking at these Ten Commandments in these past months, and I hope you have learned uh, what God's word requires of us. I hope you have seen how our Savior Jesus fulfills these commands for us. I hope you have seen how the Spirit of God is at work in your heart to cultivate these things in your own particular life. After reflecting on the Ten Commandments again, the, the catechism asks, but can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? All these Ten Commands we've been thinking about. And again, the answer, no, in this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. Indeed, beloved, may God help us by the Holy Spirit to walk in these commands for his glory because we belong to Jesus. May we never stop striving, never stop praying for the grace of the Holy Spirit to help us be more conformed to Christ's image because God has already made us his own. And in connection with this, I want to leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the church in Philippians 3. Paul writes, not that I have already obtained this or am perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've already made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that those of us who are mature Think in this way. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this evening, whether we are in seasons of prosperity or in seasons of adversity, help us to be able to say by your Spirit helping us that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Grant us faith, Lord, to trust in your fatherly provision. For if you, Father, gave your own dear Son to save us from our sins, how will you not also with him graciously provide for all of our needs and so lord please strengthen us in these truths fill our hearts with thanksgiving to you help us by your spirit to walk not only according to some but all of your commandments to the glory of your name and help us lord to praise you and to thank you lord cultivating in our hearts lord thankfulness and gratitude to the god from whom all blessings flow we pray these things in jesus name amen